So I, I, we were talking about uh, life-giving relationships. And uh, last week, Pastor spoke about uh, growing from wisdom, wisdom to wisdom. And um, we do that through life-giving relationships. He specifically focused on partnerships where we invest in people to move forward the influence of the kingdom of God. And we invest in people, right? People are what we invest in. That's the important thing. So um, I just want to start off with a scripture. This scripture is often on my mind. I think about it a lot. Uh, it comes from a sermon that I heard when I was a, a young kid by uh, one of my favorite preachers. It was Nona Freeman. Um, uh, I ran into a tape once of hers, and it said Nona Freeman. I thought it said Noah the free man. And uh, so Noah the free man was one of my favorite, favorite people. Um, Anyways, it's John uh, 7, 37 through 38, and it's about Jesus, of course. And it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture had said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Amen. Let's just pray. Jesus, I just pray you touch this service and everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. And all right. Let's get started. So life-giving relationships. Life is about relationships. Um, anybody who's lived long enough will know that. Um, <laughs> feeling empty, you should probably get a friend, all right? Um, it's, uh, it, it was kind of funny. Pastor asked me to speak about relationships. I just stared at him for a minute, and uh, I said yes. <laughs> I told my wife, and she giggled at me, and she said, Pastor asked you? <laughs> uh, my wife has seen every side of me, uh, which I cover from everybody else. My wife has seen the good, the bad. Um, so she giggled, and of course I said, yeah. Uh, you see, I'm not that great at making friendships. I'm, uh, I'm poor at it. It's not my strong suit. I've listened to a lot of books on it. It's very difficult to maintain friends. It takes a lot of work, effort, and energy, and you have to sacrifice a lot of your own personal time. So I read the book didn't enact it. All right. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm joking around a little bit. Uh, kind of. Jennifer, last week, she said, she goes, I'm a homebody. Uh, so am I. I connect with her on that. Um, I love being around no one, uh, just home by myself. Uh, I don't like to commit, and I definitely don't want to go anywhere with you. <laughs> you can ask Dave Holtz. <laughs> he invites me all the time. Sometimes I go just to make sure I get the next invite. Um, uh, what's funny is I was reflecting this week on, on you know, my, my poor relationship building skills. And um, you can laugh all you want. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I, I, so I have this poor ability to build long-lasting relationships. I'm just not that great at it. Um, but I got a random text. And I, and I do believe God speaks to people. And um, I got this random text from somebody from like 10 years ago, I haven't, I've, um, I talked to this guy, you know, maybe once in the last 10 years, and he just sends me this text, and he says, you know, thanks for showing me what a true, what true friendship looks like in life. I thought I had a lot of friends, and it took that night in Omaha when we broke down to show me what a real friend is. Unfortunately, you were the last person I called, but you were the only one that not only answered my call, but came to help. You'll always be a friend in my life because of that night. No matter how long we go without talking, you are always dear to, uh, a dear friend of me. And, uh, and he goes on. And I immediately 
hit question mark, sent it back to him. I think you got the wrong person. <laughs> and uh, he responded back, no, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about you. He told me some, and I don't even remember this. I don't even remember this uh, situation he was talking about. But I just thought it was funny because I'm literally this whole week reflecting on me as a friend to other people. And this guy texts me, and I was like, okay, thanks, God. Maybe I'm not as bad as I think, you know. Um, but he, uh, you know, um, it was interesting. And, and I just appreciate God for, you know, speaking to me. Um, so I want to go back to our, our, the verse. I kind of, I glazed over it quickly, but I want to lay out the scenario of what that scripture, what, you know, lay out the whole, uh, what it actually, what Jesus was saying, what it meant, what was the background behind it? What was this feast that they were at? What was it that Jesus was trying to communicate at the time? Because understanding the scenario, understanding what they were doing, Helps, under, helps you as a person understand what is it that Jesus was communicating when he stood up and said those words, right? So the, the thing that Jesus was talking about is he was actually talking about uh, a feast, um, which was from the scripture of, in Zechariah 14, 16. And it's actually the, a feast of booths, or it's also known as the Festival of Tabernacles. And the reason they celebrated this was because of the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness, um, you know, God took care of them. And so what they do, this festival that they celebrate, is they actually build these makeshift uh, little huts that just give them some block, for, uh, some shade during the day. And it usually happens in October for about eight days. And they will stay out in these, in these huts, these makeshift huts out in, the, out in the, you know, outside their house. And what they're doing is they're remembering the time where God took them through the wilderness for 40 years and gave them provision. And that's what this feast is. And so on the last day of the feast, this is, this is the interesting part. So it's a week-long celebration, and they remembered that God intervened during their wandering in the wilderness. And as part of the holiday, a priest would carry water from the Pool of Siloam to the altar, remembering God's provision of water for Israel in Exodus 17, 1 through 7. And the last day of the feast, it is the great day when the priest would recite Psalms 118, Send prosperity now and while making seven circuits around the altar. So they're having this celebration. They're talking about how God provided water for them. They bring water from the pool of Shalom. They bring it to the altar and they pour it on there. And, and remember, this is the rock that Moses went up to. He smote it, right? Water came out, fed half a million people, plus whatever it was, plus all their livestock, and it took care of them. It was also the same rock that Moses was supposed to speak to and smote it again and it's why he didn't enter the promised land. And um, so this rock that they talk, they're having this celebration, right? And this great, and so on the last day, there's a feast. So that's the scenario. This is the setup. And this is where Jesus speaks because it's prophetic. Um, so Jesus, uh, in John seven thirty seven, right? I'm going to read it again. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, he said, if anyone thirsts, if anyone has been wandering around in a desert for 40 years and is maybe a little dry and needs some liquid, right? He who believes on me, as the scripture had said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so what he's telling them is, hey, listen, I know you've been wandering around for 40 years in the desert and it might be a little dry out there because uh, there's no water in the desert. But if you want... I am that living water. 
I am that living water. In verse 39, it says that he was speaking about the Holy Ghost, which wasn't given yet because Jesus had not been glorified. So Jesus was talking about his spirit being poured out and filling each and every person. If you believe and are filled with the Holy Ghost, out of your belly should flow rivers of living water. Out of your belly should flow rivers of living water. And I think the reason that they use the word belly is because it's often the thing that we, it drives us all the time, right? Um, I'm a little hungry. I'm a little thirsty. I need some food, right? And trust me, there's plenty of restaurants all over the place to satisfy that. I love America. You can stop at the gas station, get a nice cold. So there are always marketing some drink, you know, Pepsi, and it's, oh, you know, and it satisfies you for a minute, right? And, and, and so our belly is the thing we think of often. It drives us, right? Oh, I'm a little hungry, you know. Uh, my kids are, I'm starving. You've never starved. Trust me. <laughs> that is a twinge of hunger pain. Very slight, you know. Uh, fasting, oh, it's a struggle. <laughs> 24 hours? And, the, like, I could go all day and not eat, but the moment I go, I'm fasting, 7.30. <laughs> you just woke up, John. <laughs> you know, I'm going to drink water till I'm full. Uh, you know, never works. Uh, never works, right? And so it drives us. But what, he, what Jesus was saying is, out of your belly, from your innermost part, the most important thing to you, should come rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. And, um, you know, rivers of living water is a, is a very interesting thing because, um, you know, I would say that often we feel dry. As a Christian, we feel dry. And I would say that the things that I question is, for myself is, why do livers, rivers of living water not flow out of me and touch others? Why do I feel dry at times? Why do I barely feel that there's enough to satisfy my, uh, my own thirst, let alone somebody else's? Why is it that, uh, where's this river of living water that Jesus spoke of, and why is it not flowing? I know I'm a child of God, a follower of Jesus, and yet life-giving relationships don't always exist in my life. And the problem is that the river has been plugged up. The river has been plugged up. Now, I've, I've seen a lot of videos. I love to watch uh, natural disasters. Not for the, the human suffering, but nature is amazing. <laughs> Not for the natural. Nature itself is going to move, and it's just nothing can stop it. It's just powerful. Um, it's, you know, I, know, I understand there's human suffering, and it's disastrous. I just always hope there's nobody hurt. Uh, but you ever watch a video where there's all of a sudden a flash flood and some some raging water comes down. There's trees and boulders and stones and everything, and it will just, it will take a bridge out. It will just erode. Houses will come off the land and float down the river, right? And it's, it's I, I get it, sad to see. But a river is something that is really unstoppable. Yeah. It's very difficult to stop a river. Now, there's been some human, some humans that built dams, and they kind of control it a little bit. But rivers tend to be uh, unstoppable. But yet the human condition, the heart, I believe, can stop it. And, I, and so, um, you know, rivers travel fast. They, they move. But the human heart, it can, it can stop a river. And I believe it has. But in my case, maybe not yours. In Colossians 3, 1 through 11, it says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, 
who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever things belong to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in the way of life, in the life you once lived. Now, this is interesting. This is before Christ, your life, B.C., right? People have lived lives of sin. People in this room have lived in a life of sin. We've had struggles. We've had problems. We've had sin in our life. And what he's saying is, hey, listen, there's a moment where you come to Christ and you sacrifice that old man. And that old man is then put away and you should be new. And these are the struggles that you've had. But then he goes on in verse 8. He says, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Ready? Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and it put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And is in all. And so the thing that plugs up the heart, the thing that plugs up the, the flow of the spirit moving out and reaching people around you is the fact that we still have jealousy, anger, we're bitter, unforgiving, we're jealous, right? And we look around and we're bothered. We have enemies. <laughs> they did something to me. They cut me off, <laughs> you know, right? You rage, you get upset, you get angry, you're mad. And when that happens, what happens is that river begins to dry up. It can't flow out. Because somebody that you don't love, you can't, you cannot share Christ with if you don't love them. It's impossible. How can you? If it's your enemy, you want to destroy them, right? If I don't like you, I don't want to be around you. I don't care about your problems, right? I don't, I don't care. Deal with them on your own. Oh, someone died? Okay, that's life. It's very cold. It's very very brutal, right? And that's the human condition. That's the flesh. That's the heart. And so you, if you love somebody, if you truly love somebody, if you care about them, you can say anything to that person. You can speak truth to them. It might be hurtful what you say. Sometimes what you have to say to somebody that is the truth can be hurtful. But if they know that you love them, if they know it, if they know you love them, you can say it to them. You absolutely can. Right? Plugged heart is, is blocked with bitterness and anger, unforgiveness, and lack of love. And I would say distractions have robbed us from what is important, which is relationships. You know, you get two dates and a dash. It's the only thing that goes on your headstone. They don't celebrate your wealth. They don't celebrate your success. They don't, people don't go to your funeral and cry, you know. Uh, uh, John made a million dollars and such a hard worker. They don't care about that. They come to your funeral, and they remember the things that you, you did for them. They remember how you made them feel, and they remember how much you loved and cared about them. And you get two dates and a dash, and that's it. That's it. Right? I just went to my, my grandma and grandpa's funeral, and uh, my grandpa was the one, one of, he was, you know, I wish I could emulate him. Uh, he's a far better man than me. But I went to his funeral, or to his uh, graveside, and I looked at my grandma and grandpa's funeral there. You know, he was a former military. And 
on the bottom, it just said faithful. And my grandpa was always there. No matter if you needed somebody, called him. My grandpa would be there. And, you know, there's, there's people in, in my life I know like that. And there's people in this church I know like that. You call them, they'll be there. They'll, they'll be at your side and help you. Um, they're good people. But in Philippians, moving on, uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now that is a hard scripture to swallow. I'm going to be honest. I should look out not only for my own interests, but yours as well. Oh, man, I don't, I don't know of anybody's interests in this room. I know of my own. They're well laid out in my head. I've got tons of plans, and they're all in spreadsheets and calculate. you know. I've got it all. I don't know your interests. I don't know everybody's your interests. All right? I could imagine that you guys probably care about your kids. You love them. That's why a lot of people come, right? We have a, we have a great children's ministry. We care about that. I can, you know, I have interests there. Um, but the biggest thing I, I care about for my family is salvation. Um, I don't care how much you make or what job you have. I care about salvation for my own family. And that's, you know, why I come and associate with this body of believers. But I should also care about your interests as well. Amen. Right? This is a hard, these are really hard scriptures in Philippians. But this is what, this is what we should be living like. This should be what we are emulating. I could imagine that if this is the type of Christianity you walked into, you would experience rivers flowing out of you, right? People's lives would be touched. Things would change. Romans 12, 9 through 21. I, I read a lot of scriptures because uh, it, it says it better than myself. It does. It's good. Um, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulations, trials. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. right? Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. And do not, set, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion, and repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And verse 21 says, Do not be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. Amen. I'm going to close soon. This is, this is a, another really hard scripture. <laughs> I wish that I could look at that and go, that's my life right there. And I struggle with it. You could spend your whole life trying to do these two scriptures and you'd live a good life. Yeah. Right? What should happen is there should be changes in, in us, me, um, where God's moving and changing my thought process, right? We shouldn't have enemies. And the way to overcome it is through giving and taking care of people around us, right? If there's one word that sticks out in both of these sections, it's preferred, preferred. We love preferential treatment. Who doesn't? You pull up, you get valet parking. Oh, how nice. You go to a good restaurant, they're always taking care of you. Oh, how amazing. I get to skip the line at Disney World and go right to the front. Yes. Right? We love to be preferred. But the word is, is it says, prefer your brother over yourself. Right? And oftentimes, we don't like to, we don't like to correlate or we don't like to uh, like put ourselves in a place where we're thought of as, as, as humble, in the humble place. We like to be thought of as, I'm talented, I'm rich, I drive a nice car, I wear nice clothes, right? We want to be associated with the high things, things that look good. I don't want to be associated with humbleness, the humble, right? I don't look at it that way. That's what Jesus is saying, right? What Paul is saying to the Philippians. He's saying you should associate yourself with the humble. You should, have, you should put yourself, your own self-interests, you know, equal to those of your brothers. You should also care about your brother. You should take care of him and his needs, right? And then I believe what will happen is there will be unity in that. I believe that because we have one like-mindedness, right? And they saw that in the early church. And see, there's, there's things that, um, I'll tell a couple, of, a couple of stories on things in my life that I have put away because of my brother. And I don't, I don't go around and I don't tell everybody my own preferences in life and I don't, I don't tell you to follow them, but they're mine. And I don't push them because, you know, I, I might not have a lot of scripture on it, but it's, my, it's the way I've chosen to live. And a couple of things is uh, when I was, I was, 18, I just turned 18, I had two friends, we were good friends, and we liked to, we liked to play uh, Texas Hold'em, you know, and we'd go to this house, and we'd just do it with, like, quarters, dimes, and nickels, and we'd play Texas Hold'em, and, you know, I've heard gambling's bad, okay, whatever, um, you know, I'm a pretty self-controlled person, and so we'd go, and we'd play Texas Hold'em, and it was, it was interesting, and we had fun, well, one time, uh, my two buddies, they were like, hey, let's, let's go out to, so I lived in South Dakota at the time, and uh, in Minnesota, which is only two hours or four hours away, uh, you could go to the reservation and gamble in the casinos at the casino at age 18, you know? It's like, okay, let's go, you know? And so we're driving there, and I'm like, 50 bucks. That's my number. I'm going in $50. I'm eating a steak dinner, and whatever's left over, I'll, I'll have some fun. And so I went in there, and, uh, you know, I was done pretty quick. Uh, it didn't take long. I'm not good at this stuff, you know? Um... <laughs> But my buddy, I sat, I, I watched him sit there and literally spend his entire paycheck. And it was like four in the morning. And I'm like, dude, can we go? And I watched him spend his whole paycheck. It was completely gone. And then on the ride home, he was worried. He was worried. And I observed that and I said, man, 
I do not want to be associated with this anymore. I will never touch this again because I am not going to be, I don't want to be associated with something that destroys lives, that people struggle with. There's addicts out there that deal with this stuff and it's real. And so from that day forward, I'm never, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I, I, uh, you know, that's, that's for somebody else. I'm not going to go to the casino. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to be associated with gambling because it destroys people. The same thing was with alcohol. You know, it's young. Got to, got to figure things out on your own. You got to learn what you believe, right? You got to decide for yourself. You're going to serve Jesus and it's your choice, right? Mom and dad can do the best they raise you. And guess what? When you turn 18, you make the decision and you got to decide on what you believe and you better figure it out for yourself. But you know, alcohol was my, you know, all right, fine. We'll try this out. And I watched buddies get just sloshed and it was bad. And I just said, you know what? No. And I decided from that day forward, I'm done. I'm not being associated with this. I don't want to be. You know, you live your life however you want. But I'm telling you this day, you know, I have an alcoholic friend in my life that I talk to him about God constantly. I, I constantly give him a hard time. You know, he's a little bit agnostic. We, we go back and forth, you know. He always, he quicks. He's like, you know, if Jesus was really God, why didn't he fly? You know, if I was God, I'd fly. And I'm like, it's a great, you know, that's cool. But don't forget, after he was raised from the dead, right, he flew. It was his last miracle. Right up into the sky, you know. Jesus is off. All right. Uh, you know, he couldn't, he's like, all right, you know. <laughs> but he's, a, he's an alcoholic and he struggles. And through my conversations with him, I've been able to get him to open up and talk. You know, we've had long conversations. Struggles of man. You know, people have demons that they struggle with every day. They do. Absolutely. People struggle with stuff all the time. They do. They have addictions. They cover it up, especially men. Really good at it, right? We don't share anything. And so what I want is I don't want my life to be a hindrance to somebody else, right? If I truly prefer my brother over myself, right, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a stumbling block in front of them, right? I wouldn't want to cause you to sin. I wouldn't want to be a, a problem in your life. Right? Jesus said it'd be better to tie a millstone around your neck and be cast in the sea and cause one of these little ones to fall. If I truly love, if I truly care, if I truly prefer, my life should not be a stumbling block. I should be willing to put myself aside. A true Christian, a true Christian will put his own desires aside and will prefer his brother over his own desires. Because that's what matters more. Don't forget, you get two dates and a slash. That's it. And all your preferences in the end are not what they celebrate. They celebrate how you made them feel and the impact that you had on their life. You see, Christ preferred us over his own life. He called us to do the same. Right? He took the beating. He took the cross. And he gave his whole life for you and I. And he said, he said guess what? Take up your cross. Follow me. And I've, what does that mean? What does taking up your cross mean? means I'm going to associate with the humble. I should prefer you above myself. The things in my life that I know are addictive, I should step out of those and not let them be an example to you. Right? I should clean, I should do some inventory on my own personal self and begin to clear it up for your sake. Guess what? Outside of this room, you might all have it together. Outside of this room, there's a whole world. And I'm telling you, they struggle. They struggle. I know them personally. I've, you guys know them. You have people you go to work with that struggle. You may not know it right now. 
I've had, I did this lady at work, she told me, she goes, you wouldn't believe how many people are alcohol, closet alcoholics, closet alcoholics. They can live in Maguanago, wealthy as can be, have it all, closet alcoholics, to numb whatever it is in their life. See, Christ followers are supposed to be landscape changers, right? Unstoppable. The river should move and it shouldn't be stopped. It should change the landscape around you in a positive way, not destructive, right? Rivers of living water should flow out of us. We should know what our brothers' and sisters' interests are, and we should be a blessing to everyone around us, not just in words, but also in what we do, specifically in what we do. Our enemies should fade into friends due to the kind deeds. And anyone who comes, comes in contact with us should feel preferred. Our relationships should be life-giving. And people shouldn't feel drained or frustrated or as if we're their enemy. People should feel love and kindness and acceptance. And not in just their lifestyle, but just to change them. You can overcome evil with good. Amen. <laughs> political battles and all that nonsense and you continue to beat somebody up that's all they're going to feel that's all they're going to feel that's all they're going to feel people need love in their life they need you to care about them I read a book, it was an amazing book um, Leaders Eat Last and one of the things that it talks about it says that um, you know, example you can give somebody I could, you're, say you're moving and I give you $10,000 to hire a moving company or I show up and I help you. Did you know that the two hours of time, the four hours of time, means way more than paying for a moving company to come help? Your time is the most valuable thing that you can give to somebody. It is not money. It is not money. It is time. People need time. They need time. They need your investment. And what will happen is walls come down, enemies become friends, and evil is overcome. Relationships grow. And this is what Christ wants us to emulate to the world. Rivers of living water should pour out of our bellies and touch the lives around us. Not the opposite. We shouldn't feel dry. We're not in the desert, right? Jesus Christ is that rock. And where you go, I'm going to tell you this, your prayers matter. Amen. Satan loves to tell you that your prayers don't matter. They absolutely matter. Absolutely matter. I don't care if it's answered today or 50 years from now, they're answered. They will be. Pray wherever you go. When you go to work, pray. Pray. Don't give up on that person. Even if they can't stand you, be kind to them, love them. Eventually what's going to happen is they're going to open up and talk to you. They will because you're different. They're going to test it. They're going to test it. Be a Christ follower. All right, let's, I'm just going to close in prayer. And we're going to take a minute and we're going to have a, a moment to reflect at the altar. And I know that God, God spoke to me this week <laughs> a lot through this. And I know God wants this church to be an influence in the community. That's why I placed it here. And a lot of people have been touched by this church. But he wants to move it to the next level. God wants to move it to the next level. And if you're feeling dry and empty and that God isn't in your life, God can change that today. God can move. God can move on you. He absolutely can. It's going to take some change. Change in your life, change in your heart, 
reflection upon these, these scriptures that are, I would say, hard. But God wants to move. Jesus, I just pray for this church, God. I pray for everybody listening, Jesus, that you would begin to touch us, God. That you would begin to show us who we are, God, in your sight. How much you love us, how much you care about us. God, I pray that you would just help us to begin to put things aside that maybe we desire. That we realize that this is the flesh. This is the stuff that is distracting and, and isn't allowing us to move the kingdom forward. It isn't life-changing relationships, life-giving relationships. God, I pray that you would just touch each and every person here, that you would help us, God, as we desire you, as we want more of you in our life, as we want to change our community, we want to help those that are lost. We want to see the addicts set free. We want to see our enemies become our friends and lives set free, made whole, hearts mended. God, I pray that you touch each and every one of us in Jesus' name. You can come to this altar if you'd like or pray wherever you feel comfortable. Thank you.